I love a good mystery, and so does everyone else. In fact, everyone loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's Journey. I know that our listeners will absolutely love this game because you are uncovering the mystery of June's sister's murder, and you're becoming a detective. You're looking for clues, and each scene will lead you to a new thrilling storyline. This is a great way to engage your observation skills to uncover key pieces of information that lead you on to many chapters of mystery, danger, and romance. Right now, I'm in the process of interviewing family members, and this is bringing me back, just so you know, to my days in law enforcement, and I'm having such a blast with it because it is so much more lighthearted, but it also has the mystery of where will this take me? You can even chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. You'll even get the chance to play in a detective league to put your skills to the test. Megan, I think we should join a detective club together. We've got this. (laughs) Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. This podcast may contain content that is graphic and disturbing in nature. Listener discretion is advised. She was an American television sweetheart. In real life, this actress would start a family of her own, having two daughters so close in age they could almost be twins. But when it came time for them to apply for colleges, it would become double trouble as mom would go to extraordinary lengths to make sure they got into the school of their dreams. This is The Lori Laughlin Story. Hi, Amy. Hey, Megan. Good to see you. That was a great intro. Oh, thank you, Amy. I appreciate that. Today, I'd like to thank Amanda Rivera for your great work on this case. And before we get started on today's episode, we'd like to take some time to thank our patrons, who we are actually bringing an extra episode every month now to. Yes, Megan, what case did we lead with last week? We covered Sabrina Zunich. Such a good one. It's a great case. We're so grateful to you guys. And now every month, we are so excited to bring you this extra episode. Thank you to you and all of our other supporters. Specifically, who are we thanking today? Okay, we got a couple people. Um, we'd like to say a big thank you to Ruman Saini, Gina Wickstead, Vicki Barnes. Is Vicki the one who was a fellow Jersey girl? Yeah. Oh, I remember. She said she liked our accents. People keep saying this. I think they're talking about just you, right? Your accent? I think the amount of people that like our accent equally hate it because some people do not like the accent. All right. I like the accent. All right. Continue. Who I don't else think do I have, have an accent, but okay. Who else do we have to All right. Finally, we'd like to thank Lily Burke, Justin H., and Nadia. We really appreciate all of your support, and we're so happy that we're able to give back and finally 
give you this extra episode a month. And remember, we have a few more days of August left. And if you join by the end of the month, you'll get our free Women in Crime nail polish. And now back to our case. Lori Laughlin was born on July 28, 1964 in Queens, New York, to her parents, Laura Lee and Joseph Roy Laughlin. When Lori was one, she and her family moved to Hopog, New York on Long Island. I know, we both know it, right? Lori's father, Joseph, was a foreman for the New York Telephone Company. Lori attended Oak School Number 3 Elementary School in Oceanside, New York, and she graduated from Hopog High School. Lori was always interested in pursuing a career in acting, and at the young age of 11, she began her modeling career. When Lori was just 15 years old, she was cast in the ABC soap opera The Edge of the Night, playing the part of Jody Travis. She appeared in the series from 1980 to 1983. From 1983 to 1988, Laughlin appeared in more than a dozen feature films and on television guest spots. I mean, most people or many people, including myself and probably you, are going to know her from her famous role in the ABC sitcom Full House. Of course. Did you watch Full House? Of course I did. Aunt Becky. Aunt Becky, I know. And she was married to Uncle Jesse. Uncle Jesse. Yes. Okay. Well, she was cast in the show from 1988 to 1995. Oh, my God. Her characters. I know. As we said, she was cast as Aunt Becky, and she was initially set for just a six-episode arc, but she became a regular after becoming a very popular character on the series. What did Jess, what did he used to say? Lord have mercy every time. What did he used to say? Remember? Oh, yes, Lord have mercy. Right. Right. That's like what? every time she looks good or something. Yes. Or like that was his line. <laughs> Lori Laughlin also appeared in many other productions, such as Fuller House. She was in the reboot of 90210, Hudson Street, and In Case of Emergency, and in a number of other shows. Just so you know, my favorite film with her was a movie called Secret Admirer. Have you heard of that? Nope. Well, you know, I loved 80s flicks, mm-hmm. to be honest. This one was with C. Thomas Howell and Kelly Preston, and Lori Laughlin played Tony, and she was the secret admirer. They were in high school of Michael, who, of course, was in love with Deborah, played by Kelly Preston. And it was like this cute little dynamic, and she would write notes and stuff. And of course, you know, it was cheesy. And no one killed anyone. Nobody killed anyone. It was an adorable 80s movie. But anyway, back to Lori. That's a side <laughs> note. Lori married Michael R. Burns, who was an investment banker. But they divorced shortly after in 1996. She met her now husband, Massimo Giannulli, in 1995, and they eloped not long after on Thanksgiving in 1997. Do you know who Massimo is? You know I do. I'm wearing Massimo pants right now. Oh my God, you are. (laughs) (laughs) Remember Target used to have... We used to love that line. That was was my favorite line. I'm not going to lie. In Target, that was my favorite line. Target, bring it back. Massimo Giannulli was the creator of the Massimo clothing line that Amy and I both loved from Target. And, and Pacific Sunwear. Remember? Oh, okay. No, I didn't remember that. It was that. like a skater brand, right? Like Massimo? No. I, I don't know if he did that one, to be honest. Lori Laughlin became the stepmother to Gianni, Giannulli's son from a previous relationship. And Massimo and Lori eventually had two daughters together, Isabella Rose and Olivia Jade. And they're really going to become the focus of this week's episode. Have you seen Olivia Jade's YouTube? No, I have not. Okay, because she has a YouTube channel where she gives beauty tips. And she has an Instagram account where she has over a million followers on both her Instagram and YouTube channel. So she's pretty so popular. So what is she, just an influencer? Yes, she is. And she's sharing her beauty tips. Her sister, Isabella Rose, is known as the more laid back and chilled sister. On March 12, 
2019, Lori and Massimo were two of 50 people who were caught by the Justice Department in a nationwide college admission scandal, later to be known as Operation Varsity Blues, which is really a bit off because in that movie you had parents pushing their children, um, but nobody really buying their kids into an education. In fact, it was the opposite. Do you remember the movie? Yes, and that movie's so old. Isn't it like 20 years old at this point? It is. But it's random. That's a great movie. That's one of my favorite movies, but it's just a random name for this operation. I don't see it. Like the parallel just isn't there for me, but that's okay. The two were accused of paying $500,000 to get both of their daughters onto the University of Southern California's rowing team or their crew team. Lori and Massimo believe that by making this donation in quotes, it would guarantee that their daughters would get accepted into the college, despite the fact that neither of their daughters had any rowing experience and had no intentions of playing the sport once they entered college. That doesn't sound legal. (laughs) Very perceptive, Amy. On March 12th, 2019, Lori and Massimo were charged by the FBI and the U.S. Attorney's Office for fraud and bribery-related offenses. And I think I said this before, but at least 50 other people were initially charged for their part in this scandal, many of whom pleaded guilty quickly or agreed to plead guilty quickly. There were some other famous people in this bunch. I don't know if you recall or if you remember, but Felicity Huffman was one of the people who was caught up. Okay, She took a plea, right? Very quickly. And she wound up serving, I think, like 14 days in jail, something like that. She was one of the first. I used to watch Felicity also. This is one of those episodes. I was just going to (laughs) say, Desperate Housewives. Recently, we know she played Linda Fairstein Mm -hmm. in When They See Us, that great show on Netflix. Yeah. Um, she had a lead role in Transamerica. She played... She's um, amazing. She's a great actress. Fantastic. She was in the show American Crime. Do you mm-hmm. remember this one? Yep. It only lasted two seasons, but whenever anyone asks me what I think is the most realistic depiction of the criminal justice system, I refer them to that show. She's a brilliant actress and one of the people who pled guilty. Her husband, William H. Macy, also a famous and outstanding actor, was not charged with any crime, mm-hmm. which means that there was no documentation. Yep. In total to date, over 30 parents of college applicants have been convicted of paying more than $25 million between 2011 and 2019 to William Rick Singer, who was the organizer of the scheme and who used part of the money to fraudulently inflate entrance exam scores and bribe college officials. Have you heard of him before, Rick Singer? Only because of this case. I heard of him when this story was out in the news. He's the ringleader and he's central to the scandal. Singer controlled two firms involved in the scheme, Key Worldwide Foundation and the Edge College and Career Network. According to our research, he's been engaging in this type of illegal activity for a very long time, although he began as a legitimate college counselor. That was his entrance into this world. He was kind of a college admissions guru So he would hold these seminars about how to get into college. He was part of the admissions prep industry. So prepping on SAT, ACTs, interviewing, personal statements, all the stuff you need to do to get into college. This is, I guess, an interesting kind of weird fact. He dressed like a coach because he would coach his clients. Oh, come on. Have you, I don't know if you've seen it, but he Did actually, he like have his name embroidered on his jacket? Yes, and he wears like really? those, the jackets that coaches would wear. I mean, he actually looks like, you always think he's a sports coach. But he didn't also coach sports. He did not, no. But he, so and he cheesy. still, I saw something recently. He still dresses this way, which I think is super interesting. 
There's a documentary right now on Netflix. It is, it's a docudrama. Did you watch it? No, I didn't watch it because I didn't want to know too much about the case before you presented it. But now that you did, I'm definitely watching it this weekend. I think you should. At first, I was concerned because they started off, you could tell it was a mixed, it was documentary mixed with drama, so dramatic acting. And I thought that's not going to mm-hmm. work out well. They had Matthew Modine, who stars as Rick Singer in this and who I absolutely love. And I have to say it was very well done. Who played Lori Lock? They didn't have everyone or the actresses. They didn't emulate anyone famous in it. So they weren't focusing on that part of the story. No, they were focusing on the scandal. They and probably the fact, weren't allowed to. It's possible. They really wanted to focus on him and the fact of how many families participated and showing you how it got done. Interesting. Definitely watch it for other people. You should definitely see it as well. So he dressed like his coach and he began this scheme in 2011 after opening a college counseling agency. He mostly specialized in side door entrances. The front door is when you get into a college legitimately. That makes sense. Based on your achievement and your merit. The back door is when your family member or a family member makes a substantial donation to an institution, usually in the millions of dollars in the form of like a building. That's legal though. It's legal to make the donation, but here's what's happening. They make the donation. Again, they buy a building, they buy a center. It's usually in the millions with the hope but not the guarantee that their child will get in. No administrators that dumb to not let their kid in after they make a donation like that. They're at, no, that's not true. I think the reason that Singer was able to get in through the side door is because some people were doing this, spending so much money, and there wasn't a guarantee. There were oh, still kids not gotcha. getting in. And so he creates the side door. And this is a method whereby you bribe lower level officials to help guarantee that the families will get their kids entrance into the schools for a price somewhere in the $100,000 range. So when I say 100,000, I should say hundreds of thousands. It was usually between one hundred and three hundred thousand dollars per kid. Like who coined that term? This is like a black market thing. Like he coined it. He did. Yeah. He called it the side door approach. But it's not legal. No, because <laughs> it's a it's a bribe. But he didn't he didn't like advertise it, I'm assuming. You know, it's not like he advertised it in a pamphlet, but he was not shy about talking about it on the phone and with families and in groups. Um, So I think it wasn't necessarily in print, but it also Mm. wasn't as hush hush as it probably should have been. The important thing here is to look at like this range. He actually said, look, you could pay $10 million, you could pay $150,000. And what he pretty much did was, and I'll explain it later, is he would go to coaches and say, ah, I got someone for your crew team. Why don't you present them? And then they would present them to the school and the school, there's no follow up later. Oh, okay, we'll accept this person. They're on. During the time he was doing the scheme with the side door entrances, Rick Singer was able to collect about $25 million from these families. And so the way they would do this was to look for like an undersupported extracurricular activity like rowing. Then the foundation would give a donation basically for this rowing and they would present also candidates. They would present, you know, someone like Olivia Jade or someone else and say, you know, these are the candidates for this team. And the school didn't really know how strong their resume was and nobody really looked into it. So once the kids were presented and once the, the coaches would lobby on behalf of them, the school would say, okay, they're in, no problem. And then these kids would get in and they would never play on these teams. But they were in through that lower level side door. And the side door, by the way, is 100% guarantee that your kid will get in. Really? Yes. Or your money back? Yes. Wow. So 100%. It sounds like the coaches were in the wrong, but anyone higher than that really didn't know what was going on. Yes. I believe... Okay. 
I can't say for sure, but I believe this mostly happened on a on a lower level. They were doing things, though. The parents were doing things like when I'm talking about them, you know, being on these these extracurricular activities. They're in the. I'm not going to ruin it for everyone, but in the documentary, you'll see that they were photoshopping like their children. Like one is photoshopping his kid playing water polo, but you know, the kid's not on the water polo team. I'm picturing like when you would cut someone's face out and just put it on like someone else's body. Like I'm assuming it was better than that. <laughs> it was better than that, but I mean, you know. They're taking pictures of these kids faking sports that these kids are never going to play. So the kids knew what was going on, too. Uh, The kids knew. So you have like four levels of people. The the kids, you do. The kids, are the kids responsible, I wonder? I mean, at at some level, yes, I think you're close enough. But at some level, you don't, we don't know also the pressure that they're receiving and they're still minors. Um, Let's talk about how it went in Lori Laughlin's case. It went down basically like this. On August 17th, 2018, the USC crew team Twitter account tweeted a picture of a poster that was advertising tryouts for the women's rowing team. The tweet read, want to become a Division I athlete? Look into joining our Trojan rowing family. There was also a picture of a poster that went along with the tweet that had information about the tryouts. And at the bottom of the poster, it stated, no previous rowing experience necessary. According to CNN, as part of the scheme, Massimo Giannulli emailed Rick Singer the pictures of his daughters posing on indoor rowing machines, which were then used to create these fake athletic (laughs) profiles. The criminal complaint against Giannulli states, in quotes, good news, my daughter is in USC. Bad is I had to work the system. So Giannulli allegedly wrote this in an email to his accountant. Prosecutors also accused Laughlin and Giannulli of advising their younger daughter on how to deal with a high school counselor who might be skeptical of her crew resume because she didn't have a crew resume. Mm-hmm. Neither one of them did. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. In the end, Singer's scheme continued until he was caught in early 2019, and at that time, he had gotten involved with a large number of universities, including Yale, Wake Forest, the University of San Diego, Stanford University, Georgetown, University of Texas, the University of Southern California, and the University of California, Los Angeles. Wow, right? Yeah. I mean, this was a major, massive scheme. On March 13th, 2019, Lori Laughlin and Massimo Giannulli surrendered themselves to federal authorities in Los Angeles and were later released after posting $1 million bail. Remember seeing they were all over the press oh, yeah. being walked out. Mm-hmm. Okay. As part of the conditions of her release, Laughlin was forced to agree to travel restrictions and she had to surrender her passport. And while Lori was being arrested, her daughter Olivia Jade was celebrating spring break on a yacht owned by a member of USC's board of trustees, Rick Caruso. <laughs> oh, come on. Yep. Not, I'm not kidding. On April 15th, 2019, Laughlin and Giannulli pleaded not guilty to charges of mail fraud and money laundering conspiracy. And according to uprocks.com, on April 9th, 2019, 
Laughlin and Giannulli were offered a plea deal that would have included a mandatory two-year prison sentence, but they rejected it because Laughlin reportedly thought the district attorney was bluffing about them serving time. In addition to being charged with conspiracy to commit mail fraud, Laughlin and Giannulli received a number of severe new charges now. What they did was a superseding indictment. And that is, you know, if you're indicted, a grand jury finds that you're going to stand charges. They filed a superseding indictment, which would replace the first indictment. And they added a whole number of charges. So it's a new indictment. It supersedes Why the original one. Why do you think they one. did that? Are you kidding me? Hold on. Okay. They superseded it, which all these extra charges, which was conspiring to commit fraud, money laundering, and a bunch of new charges that carried maximum sentences of 20 years in prison, which meant that Laughlin and her husband were looking up to 40 years in prison. Oh, wow. Why do you think they did that? Now I'll ask you. To make an example, to try to get them to plea. Of course. I mean, this is how it works. This is coercion in many ways, but this is how the system works, isn't it? We talk about this all the time, how prosecutors are going to charge you with something. They're going to upcharge you if you don't take the plea. They're going to charge you with something else until you're basically forced to agree. And that's exactly what I think happened here. And that probably explains, Amy, why on May 21st, 2020, Laughlin and Giannulli both agreed to plead guilty. It took them a while. Compared to the other people. It, they, they were the holdouts. Mm-hmm. This also explains the superseding indictments. What happens is that prosecutors hold all the power because they make the decision of who and what to charge. And that's why they have so much leverage. And that's why they're inherently the most powerful people in the system. And I think you were right uh, what people don't realize. It's also a win. And that's how prosecutors, unfortunately, are measured in terms of success, convictions. You also can't ignore the fact that plea bargaining is also very beneficial for the guilty defendant in most cases. I don't no, know. You don't agree? I, I No, I don't agree necessarily. I think that people are coerced into... Well, yeah, they're coerced, they're upcharged. They're, you I know. think that people who are poor and who are maybe innocent or somewhat innocent or have committed lesser crimes just have n- no options. Well, it's, like everything else, it you know it benefits certain people and who does it not benefit? People that are in marginalized communities to begin with. Right. Yeah. I I definitely have mixed feelings on that one. Lori was facing two months in prison and a fine of $150,000, while Giannulli was facing five months in prison and a fine of $250,000. In August of 2020, a federal judge accepted the sentencing deal for Laughlin and for Giannulli, agreeing to the terms of two months for Lori and five for Giannulli. Lori began serving her sentence on October 30th, 2020, at the Federal Correctional Institution in Dublin, California. Her husband reported to the Federal Correctional Complex in Lompoc, California, on November 19th, 2020, to serve the five-month sentence. But what about the ringleader, Rick Singer? He pled guilty to his crimes, but has remained free on bail for two years. What? With no sentencing date in sight. And during which time he has cooperated fully with the FBI to help catch the other oh, participants. He's turning deals left and right. Left and right. Oh, wow. He recorded all these. A lot of people were caught because of his recordings. Wow. He fully he recorded it to protect himself or why was or he was recording this phone to- calls that he was making deals with parents once he was caught by the FBI. Oh, you're, once he was caught, he was an informant for them. Correct. Gotcha. So. I thought you meant prior to that, he was recording all his phone calls. Nope. He okay. started recording them as part of his cooperation with the FBI. And now he remains free. Wow. Lori was released from prison on December 28th, 2020, after serving her two months She must also serve two years of supervised release now. Supervised release, just so everyone knows, is the federal version of parole because Mm -hmm. the federal system no longer has parole. Supervised release is the same thing. She has to perform 100 hours of community service 
pay that fine of $150,000. And her husband was ordered to serve two years of supervised release, perform 250 hours of community service, and pay that $250,000 fine. Giannulli reported for his five-month sentence in November, having spent the first eight weeks in solitary confinement due to the spread of coronavirus in prisons. Giannulli's lawyers tried to get him released early on these grounds because solitary for eight weeks is a very long time. Though he had a fair argument about solitary, and this is one I address in my policy classes, I mean, eight weeks... This was also unprecedented times where prisons were trying to figure out how to handle coronavirus and the spread. But did you know that there's been a real movement to limit solitary confinement now? You probably know that Mm -hmm. New Jersey actually a couple of years ago passed legislation that said you can't use solitary for more than 20 days. Mm -hmm. But the UN, I'm not sure if you know this, Amy, says that 15 days is tantamount to torture. And I would agree that it's even less. There have been some really famous lawsuits revealed that prisoners at certain institutions, most famously Pelican Bay in California, were held in solitary for years. Mm -hmm. The psychological effects, the deleterious Mm -hmm. consequences, the PTSD, everything we know now indicates that solitary has tremendous consequences on long-term mental health. The scandal was a surprise, especially from Lori Loughlin. I mean, she was a very well-known and respected actress, and she had the image of the all-American mother due to her role Mm -hmm. on Full House, fairly or unfairly. Olivia Jade lost brand deals, including having her own makeup line from Sephora pulled from the shelves. And many companies that had partnerships or sponsorships with Olivia cut ties with her due to the scandal. She has since gone on to do a Red Table Talk interview. Have you heard of these? Was that with Jada Pinkett Smith? Yes. yes. How did, I have not heard of this. Okay. However, it was Olivia that reached out to Willow Smith, Jada Pinkett Smith, and Jada's mother, Adrian Banfield Norris, to do this interview. So this is a web television series with the three generations of women, daughter, mother, grandmother, who tackle a variety of contemporary issues. It's received a lot of positive reviews, so I'm curious. Before the interview began, though, Willow, Jada, and Adrian all spoke on their opinions about having Olivia Jade on the show. Jada Pinkett Smith's mother, Adrian, did not hold back her opinions on her feelings. She was quoted as saying, I find it ironic that she chose three black women to reach out to for her redemption story. I feel like here we are, white women coming to black women for support when we don't get the same from them. It's bothersome to me on so many levels. Her being here is the epitome of white privilege to me. Wow. Did she confront her about that? That would have been awesome. I think so. And this statement resonated with a lot of people. During the interview, Olivia Jade even stated that when they were doing the whole admission scandal, that it didn't feel wrong to her at the time. Mm. She said that, and I think there was a feeling of what, but then she blamed that mindset on her growing up in a bubble that she didn't understand why it was wrong and how people could be so upset about the situation. All right. At least she's being honest. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I guess that's honest, you know. Or I, she, what else I, could she do at this point? I don't has. think there's anything you could do except throw yourself on the mercy yeah. of the court at mm-hmm. this point. Until then, Lori was released, but was removed from many shows, movies, and will likely have repercussions for a very long time to come. But some might argue that she didn't have much of a criminal justice sentence. So perhaps... That is the justice in this case. We're going to talk about that in a minute, and I'm not sure. I I actually have some mixed feelings. Giannulli is now under his term of supervised release as well. But now let's talk about why this happened, the causes, and whether or not we think the criminal justice system got it right. Let's geek out on criminological theory here. I'm going to pose this question to you. Amy, why did this happen? How do we explain it? But I bet I already know some of your answer. White privilege. Um. (laughs) 
No. Crim theory. Theory. What theory? Um, I've got two theories. Neutralization theory. Ooh, that was that one of yours? No, but that is so good. Can you explain? Because I think neutralization theory explains white collar crime nicely. No, it explains it so well. Yeah, I just because it's it's when people give excuses and justifications for their behavior. So it's almost like Olivia didn't think it was wrong because in her world, it's a justification, denial of wrongdoing, denial of injury. Right? Yeah, denial of responsibility. These excuses that allow otherwise. People who are, you know, good in air quotes to uh, commit bad behaviors while neutralizing their guilt. Wow, that's good. You know, Thank I didn't you. think of that one. Oh, Megan. Okay, fine. Um, hmm. Do you want me to give you mine? Uh, let's see if I could outdo you again. Uh, <laughs> now, yes, give me yours. That's the only one I kept thinking of. Okay, I've got two. First, I've got American Dream Theory by Mesner oh, and Rosenfeld. Okay, so the idea, the rich want to get richer. It's once you have money, you just, you want more. You want you. Yeah. This, yeah. The American well, Dream Theory by Mesner and Roosevelt proposes that the U.S. has an overcommitment to economic success underscored by our values of materialism, universalism, mm. and individualism. And they say that there are five main institutions in our society that we have the economy, family, education, politics, and religion. And in a balanced society, these institutions would have equal emphasis. But they say in our culture, we have what's called institutional anomie. And that's when one of these institutions becomes way more important and overrides the other and creates the sense of normlessness. So in this case, it would be uh, our focus on the economy and economic success, and it becomes disproportionate, and people feel this need to keep up and keep up with the kind of American greed, yeah. I guess. No, I think it's an interesting theory to apply here, but I don't think they needed college. I think they would have been just fine as far as like their prestige. Obviously, it wouldn't have changed their economic situation. So when I think of institutional anime, I'm thinking of it more like that's why we see people embezzle money. That could explain Bernie Madoff. That could, you know, that Definitely. could explain, like, I don't know if them going to college was for financial gain. It wasn't. It was for the greed, though, and the prestige. They were going to great college. They wanted yeah. to get into great colleges, and this would help build their portfolio. But do you think they need it? Like, it sounds like this family already- Bernie Madoff didn't need the money that he stole either. Yeah, if you think I guess. About You're it. Right. He was rich, so he was making plenty of money. Yeah. He, it's the greed, the insatiable kind of yeah. greed. Yeah. No, I, I, it's interesting. I, okay, well, that was my theory number one, yeah. although I love your neutralization theory. Thank theory you. number two I'm going to go with, I don't know if you teach this one, but do you know Charles Tittle's control balance theory? I do, but I don't remember it, so you can go. Control balance theory asserts that people who suffer from a control imbalance will be more likely to commit crime. He says there's two types here. There's a control deficit, and that's when someone lacks control over their own life, and they commit crimes to try to regain power and control so this is where you see rape as that mm -hmm. predatory yeah. crime where they feel like they're regaining control or power over someone else. On the opposite side, a control surplus is when someone has too much control or power mm -hmm. and they commit crimes of greed. Yep. And so this is where we see large white collar schemes and other types of crimes that were would be similar. And I would think this is where Lori Laughlin mm -hmm. fits in this category here. I agree. I think that one's even a better fit than neutralization. Oh, I heart you, Amy. Thank you. Okay. I do understand your point about American dream theory. I just see But I it. see yours too. So I could see it. I think control balance and neutralization probably trump it, but yeah. I think it definitely fits in. Now let's talk about whether or not the system got it right. These are crimes. These are people who paid these bribes. They took these spots away from deserving students and there are consequences. Well, you know what I'm going to focus on here. All right. Well, was, go ahead. What are you going to focus on? 
if they were not white people with money, this outcome would have been so very different. I think so. I mean, you can't ignore that. Okay, for show, they had to spend a little time in jail. I mean... So was the punishment appropriate? They spent... Was two months for Lori appropriate, five no, months for Giannulli The money means nothing to them. The, the amount they had to pay is not going to alter their life in any way. Nope. I don't think them being on supervised release is going to alter their life in any way, or not in a large way. No, I would have to agree with that. You know, I should have mentioned also, when I was describing the federal facilities where they serve their time, these are... Minimum security federal institutions. They're the ones that look like college campuses, right? This is not hard time mm-hmm. at all. This is not like a place where you need to be substantially worried about acts of violence or And other I'm not things. saying that they should be sent to a place like that. What I'm saying, though, is that it should be equal treatment. So if they get this treatment, then I want to see somebody from a marginalized community get similar treatment when they commit a similar type of crime. I agree with you. I actually think, um, well, I thought the sentences were too short. I don't think, again, I don't think these are the most extreme crimes crimes. However, I think they're serious enough. I thought the initial um, offer of two years was appropriate for their crimes. That's what I would have thought. And they still would have been at a minimum level security prison and they still would get out after 85% of their sentence. Mm-hmm. So it's really... But, but at least it's hard time, right? It's, it's more time. This was not this was not enough time for me. Um, I think what's really going to happen is the consequences for them are some, it's something we talk about in our classes, more about the extra legal shaming that of they're going to face. Yep. So extra legal punishment or shaming the is... The informal sanctions. The yes. informal sanctions. I love talking about that with my students. Yes. Right? Okay. So the informal sanctions here are loss of reputation, mm-hmm. public humiliation, yep. for sure. Loss of work. I mean, that's definitely for sure as well. So I think that these consequences are going to be greater for them yes. than the prison stay. I 100% agree. And it's going to trickle down to their kids. I mean, I think they'll come back from it. But you even said the one child's makeup line was pulled from Sephora. You know, I'm sure they've been shunned by their peers in some way as well. Yeah, I think this is there's definitely a trickle down effect. But as you said before, they weren't punished criminally, but they're responsible too. Yeah. Hearing Olivia talk about the fact that she participated in knew, mm-hmm. you know, they both knew what was going on. So they're, you know, the consequences that they'll suffer too are probably fitting as well in terms of yeah. extra legal punishments. Yep. Yeah. And I think it goes without saying that Singer, although he's the one who gave up everyone, and obviously our system needs informants in order to prosecute cases like this. I think it's so unfair the way that we incentivize these informants and then they get off the hook. I don't love the informant system, but it's a necessary evil. Mm -hmm. What's worse and what happened here is when you use the top level person to inform against lower level participants. Mm -hmm. This infuriates me. I worked on a murder case like this in my federal probation, and I remember that the prosecutor used the head drug dealers and murderers who ordered like murders of Mm -hmm. other people and they turned against the lower level people. Mm -hmm. And so the ones who were lower got these, you know, ridiculously lengthy sentences where these guys were out in like eight to 10 years and they ordered the murders. Mm -hmm. And so that, that, that system infuriates me. And totally agree. What do you think he should get? I mean, what, what kind of sentence should he get? The ringleader, he's got to serve hard time, but he's not going to, I think. And that, that does scare me a little bit. I also think his fine should be large because his situation, I would assume is different because it would financially hurt him to probably pay large fines. Well, right? I don't know what happened to the $25 million. I'm assuming that they froze his assets and whatnot, yeah. but he was living large before that. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So it remains to be seen what happens with Rick Singer. He should serve serious time. Yes. He said on the record this is his scheme, and he was absolutely the ringleader here. Let's watch this case and see what yeah. happens. And in the meantime, watch the documentary or the docudrama. It was so good. Mm-hmm. 
Thanks again, everyone, for listening, and we'll catch you next time on Women in Crime. Women in Crime is written and hosted by Megan Sachs and Amy Schlossberg. Our producer and editor is James Varga. Music composition is by Dessert Media. If you enjoy the show, please remember to subscribe and leave a review. You can also support the show while gaining access to ad-free episodes, exclusive AMAs, and other bonus content for a small monthly contribution through Patreon. For more information, visit patreon.com slash womenincrime. Sources for today's episode include Uprox, Axios, CNN, YouTube, NBC News, and the documentary Operation Varsity Blues, The College Admissions Scandals. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.